0: This podcast is the design of CitySites Urban Media, and our goal is to bring into focus the difference between culture and God's ideas found in His Word. To learn more, go to citysitesurbanmedia.com.
1: Let's talk about this thing we call a biblical worldview. You know that everybody has a worldview whether they know it or not. A worldview is just simply the way you see things, the way you see the world. Most people have sort of a secular worldview or a worldview that's shaped by their culture, by TV, by the movies, by the music, by the politics by their friends whatever but a biblical worldview is one that is shaped by God's word by the Bible and specifically it is centered and focused on Jesus Christ biblical worldviews have 3 key elements. Here they are. Number one, truth. God's opinion, not mine. And so people who have a biblical worldview fundamentally believe that God's word, the Bible, is actually inspired by God. It's from God. It's not just man's opinion. It wasn't just written by a bunch of guys, but God actually inspired it. Here's the second key. Submission. God's terms, not mine. See, knowing the truth is one thing, but submitting to the truth is another thing. If you have a biblical worldview, that means that you come to God on his terms, not your own. And here's the last key. Relationship. Love God. Love people. At the end of the day, if you're going to have a biblical worldview in your life, it's going to be about connecting. A biblical worldview is not about a religion it's not about an institution it's about a personal relationship with a personal god and when we connect to and relate to god in the right way the natural outcome of that is we learn how to connect to the people in our world the right way as well and this is one of the great benefits of a biblical worldview we can begin to love people i mean really love them like god loves because the bible says that god is love This is the City Sites podcast with Larry Kutzler.
0: It may come as a surprise to some of you that many pastors do not entirely have a biblical worldview. They may start with the understanding that God is love and that Jesus came from God, but then will deviate from what the Bible teaches about human behavior. In most cases, some Christian leaders will ignore the cultural issues that are impacting our society and focus more on how to bring principles of self-help to their constituents. Helping people get along better in our society is a noble endeavor, yet Jesus was not so concerned about what the culture of his day taught. His concern was what God said. That is the problem we still face today. Learning how to get along in culture is not the same thing as knowing what God said, because knowing what he said is what is the truth. Culture, as we all know, is made up of seven billion opinions. Everyone on earth has one, and each opinion is being influenced by something like money, family, traditions, politics, education, friendships, internet. They all play a part in helping us form our ideas and opinions. Our podcast today is about having a biblical worldview and a ministry that has been developed to primarily help pastors rekindle theirs so that they may be a greater influence in our society. Developing a biblical worldview may be somewhat controversial in some areas in light of modern thinking, yet our churches must maintain a biblical standard of values that guide and direct our Christian lives. Nehemiah Reset has a mission to assist pastors in the vital work of intentionally building a Christian worldview into their local communities. Bruce Lau is one of the founders of this ministry. He is a former businessman whose passion you will hear today on why a biblical worldview is essential to every pulpit in our community. Bruce, there's a ministry that you're a part of, obviously. You're a part of the founders of a Nehemiah Reset. That's a very interesting name. First of all, what is it and why did you name it Nehemiah Reset?
2: Well, Nehemiah was a very interesting biblical character, but he was a man who believed deeply in the power of prayer. He was obedient. He was an obedient servant to God. He was a man that battled the establishment in the process of rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem. And I think he represents, in large part, some of the battles that we face today. In a culture that is, I think we all would agree, is declining faster than we'd like. You know,
0: you're absolutely right. And I, I'm so thankful to God that uh, people like yourself and others are being raised up to confront some of the ideologies that uh, our country and our culture is engaging. Since becoming a believer in 1970, Bruce, I've seen a lot of changes in the church, lots of them, some good, some not so good. And as you have been working in this area of helping people understand the ideology that uh, the culture has propagated. What are you seeing, the changes in the church that are not healthy, and one of the reasons why you're after pastors to start thinking in and along the lines of Christian worldviews? What changes have you seen?
2: Well, let me just say to begin with, one of the driving forces for me was the fact that I am a grandfather with five grandchildren. It bothers me tremendously to think about what, what we're walking into, what they're walking into, if we are not able to correct the path in which we're on. And if it's not me, then who is it? As far as changes in the church, I think there's been, from my point of view anyway, a serious void of leadership in a lot of areas that is driven not only by the inherent lack of leadership abilities on behalf of some of the pastors themselves, but I think there's a growing fear of reprisal should they speak openly and honestly from the pulpit on Sunday about some of these crucial issues. And if they're not educating the flock, then who does educate the flock? Secondly, I think there's obviously the, there's a tendency to be very protective of the cost of running a church. What that says basically is that should they preach in the way that perhaps we might want them to do, they might lose some donors. That affects the bottom line for those churches who are burdened with heavy overheads. That's a consideration. So those would be the three areas. And I think the big one, as I said before, though, is leadership, that so many of the fellows that are in the pulpit today don't really understand the true meaning of leadership. And I don't think coming out of the seminaries, which is where a lot of this has been born out of, that we don't understand what it means to be a leader in the church. It's not something you teach somebody. It's a God-given talent. So,
0: Bruce, your objective in Nehemiah Resets is to help pastors develop a Christian worldview. Explain that.
2: What is a Christian worldview? All right, good question. The Christian worldview is, in short, taking those biblical beliefs that we should have and most of us do have, and converting those into an everyday life. In other words, when you walk out of church on Sunday, how does the biblical learning, the biblical principles that have been ingrained in you for so many years, how does that apply to your daily life? And are we to look the other way on issues such as abortion, on gay marriage? Those are issues, obviously, that run contrary to God's Word, And to walk in God's Word is not always an easy thing, which is called the narrow road sometimes, but we are nevertheless called to do that if, in fact... We have a body of believers that are willing to walk the talk. We are well on our way to developing a Christian worldview in that church or in in many, many churches.
0: A lot of Christians, though, Bruce, would say, hey, wait a second. Politics in the church, they're not good Mm -hmm. bedfellows. You know, they're, they're opposites. And the church shouldn't be involved in politics. I mean, we've seen what happened with the moral majority years ago, and people are really afraid of anybody talking about politics in church. How do you address that?
2: Well, first of all, if I'm talking to a pastor, there's a great article that was written by Wayne Grudem called Why Christians Should Seek to Influence Government for Good. Wayne is a uh, teaching professor at the University of Phoenix Seminary. When we're talking about biblical principles, it is a fine line, but the political side of that is not where we want to be. We're not telling people who to vote for. We're not supporting one political party over another. Our position is understand your faith, Be educated as to what is happening around you. There are many things, for example, in the Twin Cities here, just a couple in the last year that I would probably have to say most people are not aware of. Just the New York uh, infanticide bill is a prime example. That's not being political. That's a significant violation of God's laws. And so we need to be aware of those things. We need to be aware of the people that are supporting those types of bills so that when it does come time to vote or pull the trigger that we know how to do that but we do that with our biblical principles in mind
0: bruce you just told me a story that here in the state of minnesota that there were three children that were born alive but were Mm -hmm. allowed to die give us the background on that
2: (laughs) Well, I happened to be shadowing one of our state senators several weeks back, and uh, during the course of the day, we sat down and talked with one of his colleagues at the state capitol. And I brought the New York situation up to him. And the other fellow, I can't remember his name right now, said to me, well, Bruce, interestingly enough, I did some research into the state laws of Minnesota. And surprisingly to me, that is legal in Minnesota as well. I had no clue about that. If I don't know about that, I would dare say most people, including my family, don't know about that. And so there was a bill that was put on the floor that would have mandated LGBTQ curriculum and Planned Parenthood curriculum into the schools starting with kindergarten. Not suggesting, but mandating. Once again, I don't know that people understood what was going on around them. And what we're trying to do is simply put this information in front of them so that each and every Christian is as well educated as possible,
0: Bruce. You also told me a story while you were in Milwaukee at a very large African American church. You were doing some educational things there, talking about uh, this kind of theme, and you ran into a couple young men who you asked, "Who are you going to vote for? I mean, what direction are you going to go?" And they said, "Well, we're going to we're going to go and vote for Democratic uh, candidates because that's always what we've done." Tell us that story.
2: Well, I was at the time working for Family Research Council inside of their watchman-on-the-wall ministry. And another fellow and I were visiting a predominantly black church, African-American church in North Milwaukee, and had been there several times, had been invited to speak several times. As I was leaving, we uh, engaged in some uh, casual conversation with some young men, and the guy I was with asked them what they were going to do and how they were going to vote in the upcoming election. And so the story we got was, well, we're most likely going to vote Democrat because that's what our family's done and that's what we've always done. But just so happens that my friend had a copy of Franklin Graham's periodical, and inside of that magazine was the voter guide. So I pulled out that magazine opened up to the voter guide and showed it to him and said, look guys, forget the D, forget the R, and just forget the names. Look at what these two people stand for. Now let me ask you a question. You just got done telling me and telling us that you're Christians. Yes, we are. Are you saying to me then that you would vote for somebody or support somebody that killing babies at eight or nine months is part of their platform? Or would you, are you endorsing gay marriage? Well, they said, of course not, we wouldn't. Well, when we finished the conversation, I walked outside and one of the young guys came up to me and said, Bruce, thanks for your time and the information. Based on that, I got to tell you, I got to rethink my situation. Now, that is a prime example of the power of education. No surprise to anybody that not only have the young people today not been taught the biblical foundation of this country, nor do they understand what the Constitution stands for, but just the day-to-day stuff, they're not getting in school. And so we hope, once again, that through a, uh, establishing these salt and light teams in the churches, that we can help educate the people through the power of Of educating them with information.
0: Now we'll come back to those salt and light teams because that's a strategy. But if people are listening today and they attend a local church, how would you suggest that they challenge their leadership to talk about some of this worldview things?
2: Great question. And uh, the best example I can give you is an example of when I had lunch with my pastor several, actually a couple months ago now, after the New York episode. And I asked, when will you speak on the infanticide bill that was passed in New York? And I didn't get the answer I wanted, but I didn't get a no either. Well, unbeknown to me, another friend of mine asked the same question later on in the week. Neither one of us knew that we were asking the guy the same question. That Sunday before the sermon, The pastor opened up with just that, making people aware of what had happened in New York and simply saying to the congregation, we must be involved in the culture. God has given us this. Christ gave us the order to go forth. It is a form of discipleship. We stop short of moving through the evangelism issue and stop short of the discipleship piece, which is moving into the culture and affecting the culture as Christians.
0: Now, the Christian worldview does take into consideration the cultural impact areas, right? Those are politics, religion, education, prayer, media, and business. So salt and light teams, tell us how they operate in
2: light of this Christian worldview as it relates to
0: these areas,
2: Well, what we're suggesting in our little brochure, part of that strategy is to set up five different spheres, if you will, where people or teams of people can come together in the area of politics, business, media, education, and religion. focus on those areas, and their job would be to gather as much information as they can that has local application that has application to their biblical beliefs one way or the other, and distribute that information perhaps just on a monthly basis or a bi-weekly basis. That's up to them about how they the vehicle that they want to use to distribute that information in their church. But again, getting that information out to the congregation, their fellow Christians, so that everyone has a full understanding of what's happening around them.
0: Bruce, if Nehemiah Reset is successful, what would that success look like for the church?
2: Well, there's a fine line between politics and what we're trying to do with biblical principles here. And if you go on the website, nehemiahreset.org, you'll notice that we've got it split into national and Minnesota. And we're trying very, very hard to stay away from politics, but to simply tie this into biblical concepts. Underneath the Minnesota section, there are articles about such things. And below each article, then there's a link that you can click on that says, what does the Bible say about this? For example, if there's an article written on abortion in Minnesota, there's a link to that below that article that you can read and understand what the biblical view is on abortion. If we are successful, the only way in which that I can see right now that, I won't say the only way, but the best way for us to measure this type of success would be what happens at the voting booth. We're not telling people who to vote for. We're not telling them how to vote, but if we as a, the salt and light teams, by the way, their responsibility would be to distribute the uh, voter guides at their respective churches and encourage people to vote. 84 million evangelicals voted in 2016. There is no question that God put Donald Trump in there for a time such as this. You may not like a lot of things about him, but 84 million evangelicals voted and the one thing I want to say to everyone is the underlining fear here is that if we don't stand, and had we lost that election, there's a very, very good chance that we would have lost all of our religious freedoms. That is where this thing was headed.
0: You know, Bruce, I have a saying that I use occasionally that goes something like this. If we fail to influence culture, culture will influence the church. And that's basically what you're saying. Yep. You
2: know, we would yep.
0: easily lose our religious freedom, which we are slowly
2: doing anyway, right? That is correct. And let me say to the any pastors listening to this, the fear of losing your nonprofit status is a myth. And Alliance Defending Freedom has for years sought out a church which well, they could go to court to defend it. There is no way the church is gonna lose their nonprofit status. That would be nothing, in my opinion, but an excuse or an uninformed reason for not preaching the truth from the pulpit.
0: So if our audience really is
2: curious about Nehemiah Reset, where do they go, Bruce? org, And like I said, we are asking pastors to not personally get involved in this other than to say, yes, uh, it makes sense we're willing to put a salt and light team into our church. The pastors know best who to staff those with and what people would be more than willing to participate in something like that. We're going to be doing a training in October, flying a, a young lady in here to train. That is very, very familiar with Family Research Council over the years where, frankly, I've, this concept was really born. So NehemiahReset.org It's pretty simple read encourage you to go take a peek.
0: Bruce, this has been absolutely fantastic, very insightful. But what would you say as we leave our conversation today, what would you say to pastors?
2: Well, one of my favorite stories is to tell them, and it's, it's out of the script of business, I will admit. And if you look at what's going on in the Twin Cities over the last 40 years, it's like watching a movie on its TV screen. And when you watch the movie, what do you see but a culture that's in serious decline without any change in sight? And the problem is, is that the church, if we have a strategy, we haven't taken the time to sit down and look at the strategy and say, why is this not working? What are we doing wrong? And until we come to grips with the fact that it's not working. Whatever you want to say you're doing in the pulpit or we are as, as a church are doing, until we come to grips with that and we're honest with each other, this is going to continue to decline. And I had a pastor diagram another thought for me the other day when I asked why this is happening. And he said, Bruce, for the most part, It's because of pastor's theology. And I'm like, what does that got to do with anything? He said, because of, depending upon their belief system with pre-trib or post-trib, what they know is that Christ is coming back. And there's an end in sight. So all our job is just to go out and preach and share the gospel. And I'm like, uh, what's missing here is to say that we are not called to any other action than just simply evangelizing. That's it. When I believe in the book of Ephesians, Paul says that faith without works is meaningless. So, we are called to use our gifts and talents. We've all been given them, and the church is not using them to the fullest ability today. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. Ephesians 2.9. Continuing, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, for which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2.10.
1: Thank you for joining us
0: today. Every Friday we bring you this podcast with interviews with people who are challenging the status quo of Christianity and challenging the cultural norms of our day. Please help us get the word out by sharing the link to this podcast with your online friends and family. Our website also contains other podcasters who are a part of the CitySites network of communicators all sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Our website is citysitesurbanmedia.com.